0: Well, as Tyler has already said, we want to welcome you to Safe Haven. Um, if you are a guest with us, we, we, we go through books of the Bible as a church, uh, just believing that we can't come up with anything better than what God has already given us in His Word. And so, we've done it again, church. Today is a monumental day, right? Um, After 6 chapters, 15 weeks, 55 verses, 3,022 words, we're going to conclude our 20th book of the Bible together. Isn't that crazy? Um, God's been really good. We've got 46 more to go. 46 books of the Bible more to go together. Uh, And so... um, Hank and and the South crew is chewing through Books of the Bible as well and and through the theater and through now in this facility. It's just just really cool what God's done over the past years uh, through Books of the Bible. So I say that to say, um, may the Word of God ever be before us. May it be the only thing that we leave behind us. Um, and may it be what we cling to for our families, for our church. Um, so, so this pulpit Bible that you guys read through, actually had somebody come up to me last week and said, does anybody ever open that Bible? Um, and I was like, yeah. And they said, it's real big. And I said, yeah. And they were like, um, you think I could take it? And I was like, I don't think the church would let you. <laughs> um, but you read straight through this thing when we dedicated this facility. And, and I do pray that this is what we cling to. Nothing more, nothing less in everything. Um, And so with that said, um, we wrap up the book of Ephesians today. Let's do a final recap of what Ephesians has been all about. It'll be on the screen above. If you'll remember, chapters 1 through 3 has been about the doctrine of what it means to have a Christ-centered life. Everything about the doctrine, the heady stuff, right? Um, so verses uh, 1, chapter 1, 4, we, we saw He chose us in Him, all of these things. We, we got a big, robust um, meal of God's sovereignty um, in salvation. And then chapter 2, verse 5, by grace you've been saved. The means by which He accomplished salvation was through the grace of Christ. And then we hit chapter 3 through 6, and you all remember the whole unity. All of a sudden, Paul spun it a little bit. It was like, okay, this doctrine is not just about how you get saved or how salvation occurs, but it's also that God is creating a society unto Himself unlike any other society. And so there came this unity of the church, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. And you'll remember this word over and over. This is a mystery. This is a mystery. This is a mystery. So chapters 1 through 3 was all about doctrine, right? And then we hit chapter 4, and then it became the deeds, the deeds of a Christ-centered life. So it's not just head knowledge, it's hands and feet... And so as we went through chapters 4 through 6, you'll remember some of these sermons, right? How he taught us, Paul taught us to be spirit-led, to be emotionally healthy, to use our spiritual gifts, to put on the new self, to remember whose you are by one another ring. And so we looked at, even last week, right? That passage that so often just kind of plucked out, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. It's plucked out. This is all about marriage. Well, it is about marriage. But it's also about thankfulness and singing and celebrating with one another and submitting as uh, wives and husbands and husbands and wives and kids and parents and parents and kids and workers and employers and employers and workers and and slaves and masters and all this tied together. And so we went through all of that and today we're going to add one more. He's going to say, believe the doctrine, do the deeds, but to do the deeds, you got to put on the armor of the Lord. It's where he's going to wrap up Ephesians for us today. Um, so I'm going to ask you to do something before we jump in. <laughs> and that's this. If you would, we've done this once before. I think when we did Song of Solomon, we might have done this. A couple of things happened with Song of Solomon. Again, the kids area just exploded. Um, but we, you remember the videos? We did videos. Was that with Romans or Song of Solomon? That's two totally different books. Right? Uh, I want to ask you to do that again. If you would, there's my phone number on the bottom. If you don't have, most of you have my cell phone number, but that's my cell phone number. Um, take your phone this week and just do a 30 second video. Give me 15 seconds, whatever. And now here's the rule what you, what you can't say on the video is, well, I remember Troy said, or I remember Tyler said, you can't do that. What we want is, this is what the Spirit said to me through the text. And it could be a verse, it could be something the Spirit spoke to you, whatever. And just record that real quick, and then shoot that to me. And we want to compile those, and between the first service and this service, uh, we think that we can put together a video. We just want to celebrate next week. We want to celebrate what the Lord has done through the book of Ephesians together. Uh, Will you help me do that? Okay, all right, there we go. I need more than just the three people that nodded their head. And, and now some of you are like, I don't want to make a video. I'm, You're not too cool for that, and I bet you I could go on your Facebook page and find other videos that you've posted about other garbage, all right? So do something for Jesus. <laughs> uh, and I'll give you a thousand bucks. If you make a video, I'll give you a thousand bucks. That's a lie. That's not the truth. Um, but if it helps you make a video, by gosh, then whatever, all Right? Make a video. Just, just, hey, let's just boast on Jesus, and let's show that video and let's just celebrate and testify to the Lord, right? So do that today. Shoot me those videos and, and let's do that. All right, so here we go. Finally, verse 10 is where it begins. Um, so finally, now that's a, that's a good word to conclude a book of the Bible, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. So finally, God has built a new society that has no distinctions of race or rank. Finally, God's got a society that you're a part of that is indeed has a unique doctrine and it has unique deeds, and we think different and we look different. Finally, so live a life that models the citizenship that you're a part of. Finally, and then he he throws in this little odd word, right? Finally, be strong in the Lord. Well, why would he say be strong? So he's going to wrap up the book by saying, finally, all these things, but finally, be strong because there is an opposition that hates you, and it hates your family, and it wants to kill you. Now, that sounds like an odd way to end a book, right? But he tells us that out of love, and so we say, whoa, 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 Paul, I signed up for the Christian life to be on vacation, brother, to get away from all the chaos, to get away from all the turmoil, all that kind of stuff, and there is definitely a certainty of a grace and a peace and a love and a mercy and all those things that come with being in Christ. But there is also a very real war for your soul. There is a very real war for the souls of your family. There's a very real war. And Paul does not love us well if that's reality and doesn't tell us that that is reality, right? It's just the whole illustration of a snake. You don't love me if there's a snake on the other side of the log and you know it's there and I'm about to step over that bad boy. You don't love me unless you tell me, Hey, Troy, there's a snake right there. Well, you might love me and just be a little bit twisted in the head. But you get what I'm saying there. Our love is expressed in truthfulness. And so Paul says, listen, this is real. There's real opposition. And I love you enough to wrap up my time, Ephesians, by telling you this. And so his parting shot is a reminder that Satan is far more real than just this kind of ethereal boogeyman that we think about sometimes. Like a lot of times we hear the word Satan and we kind of equate him with the boogeyman up under the bed. Now I know all of you were, uh, you didn't have this happen to you like me, but I'm telling you, man, I remember uh, going to bed at night as like a a, a six-year-old, 16-year-old, I don't know, 45-year-old maybe, uh, thinking, okay, I needed to leap over my bed onto the mattress just in case if there is a boogeyman, he don't snap my foot right off. Did anybody else do that? Uh, Okay, good. Some other people admit it. Um, Or jab something under the bed or look in the closet or, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of times we think of Satan in the same way, don't we? We're like, ah, I hear the word. Maybe he's there. Maybe he's not. It's a fun game to play. And Paul says, it ain't no game, it ain't no joke. This is real. It's really after you. And if we're going to live a life that models doctrine and deeds, you got to know there's an opponent that's out for your soul. And so this is where he wraps it up. So verse 11, he says this, So be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, and put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. If you underline your Bible, that word schemes is good there, man. We'll get to it in just a second for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So again number one, Satan's not a joke it's it's not a game, it's not a control tactic, it's a real opposition. And So a couple of things that I think in this about the word schemes I think Again, sometimes we paint a picture in our culture of Satan that just isn't true, right? So the picture that's painted of Satan is he's loud and he's obnoxious and he's obvious and, you know, he's got the pitchfork and the pointy tail and the the spiky horns and the... Well, he's easy to recognize because he's red and nobody else is red except for me when I go to the beach, but he's, he's... He's all these things. He's loud. And and notice the word that Paul says. He says, be strong, be on guard, because he's scheming. Scheming is subtle, isn't it? Scheming is cunning. Scheming is slippery. Scheming is not out loud and obvious. And so he's not loud and obvious, but he's quiet. He's, He's cunning. He's not hideous and he's not ugly. He's beautiful and he's seductive. He doesn't drop these atom bombs, but he's sowing little seeds of discord and then sowing little seeds of discord, just like Adam and Eve. Y'all remember the whole story of Adam and Eve, right? And it was all subtle questions. He didn't go up and say, rebel against the Lord. I'm this. No, they were hanging out with him. They were doing the thing. And he goes, ah, well, the Lord surely didn't mean this. Right? Crafty, cunning, seductive. It's just that little, little slipper. And he says, you need to be warned of this because he's scheming. And so let's walk through how this could work kind of more like a fox in a garden rather than an elephant in a garden. Now, y'all know, we are no gardeners. Y'all saw the picture at some point, if, if you were here for that. Um, me and Julie Beth tried it last year and dr- drastically failed. We'll never do that again. Um, we rely on all of y'all with green thumbs. Like when the whole thing dies out and, and we're eating fruits and vegetables out of yards, don't come to our yard. You will find nothing but grass, Right? We failed miserably. But in doing so, if, if you have a garden and an elephant is coming up, well, you guard against the elephant, right? You put a wall up. You put a fence up. What's harder to catch? Fox. Fox that slips in in the middle of the night, in the back, in the dark, climbs up under the fence, starts nipping at your garden. He says, listen, be on guard against that. So how would that flesh itself out? Well, let's just look at the list of all the things that we've gone through in chapters 4 through 6 again. Be spirit-led, emotionally healthy. And I just want to maybe illustrate this real fast, and let's see if you've felt these in your own home or in your own heart. right? So the Scriptures tell us to be spirit-led, and Satan slips in and says, ah, I don't know about being spirit-led, just, hey, just trust your heart. Just trust your heart. Even though the Scripture says that our heart is what? Deceitfully wicked. Just just trust your heart. Trust your conscience. You know, just you do you. Believe in yourself. It's seductive and quiet, right? The Scriptures tell us this. Hey, be emotionally healthy and be emotionally healthy by clinging to the hope of the gospel. And then Satan slips in and says, "Ah, yeah, but hey... Emotional health really comes from gain, doesn't it? If you hoard and gain and gather, then that's going to really bring you happiness. And emotional health is all equated with happiness. You see how it's slippery? It's seductive, right? Or this. Scriptures tell us, hey, flex your spiritual gifts. Walk in your spiritual gifts. And Satan slips in and says, hey, God did make you talented. There's no doubt about that. But hey. Why would he want to rob you of the applause that's due you? I mean, you are talented and you should get some of that applause. Why would God rob that from you? Slippery, right? Or this put on the new self, live differently, walk differently, look differently. Satan slips in and says, Oh, you got to fit in the culture if you want to change the culture. Just look. If you just look like the culture, it'll give you. This this phrase I can't tell you how many times I hear this. It'll build a better bridge for you to share the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel is just the gospel. It is what it is. There is no better bridge than the raw truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Christ is the great Savior. That's the gospel hope. So he says, Saint kind of slips in and says, "You don't want to get left out. If if you look, if you become a Jesus freak and you look too weird." Then you'll get left out, subtle, seductive, right? Or this, Scripture says, remember whose you are. And then Satan slips in and says, yeah, you're God's children, but if God really loved you, why would he have let X, Y, or Z happen in your life? Anybody ever thought that? world comes crashing in, chaos abounds, and all of a sudden you begin to question God's goodness? Well, God, if you really love me, then why would that have occurred? You can rest assured that Satan is slipping in. What? Not overt, loud, boisterous, whatever, but those little bitty seeds. He's planting those little seeds. Or this. We wrapped up chapter 5 last week with submit to one another, sing to one another, give thanks to one another. Be about one another's business. Be about each other's business. Be a gospel community who fleshes this out. And then Satan slips in and says, "Yeah, you need friends and everything, but surely you're not going to let other people control you. You're not going to let people have a voice in your life that they can actually point out aspects of your life, right? You're not going to do that because then they'll run over you and control you. Has anybody by show of hands, felt some of those things in your life. Yeah, man. That's what Paul says. He says, listen, this is real. It's realer than the other side of the pillow. It's realer than the seat that you're sitting in. It's realer than the clothes that you're wearing. And I don't even know if a realer is a word. So here we go. It's real. You need to know this. Fight against this. Be strong. Why? Because Satan, indeed, is pouring prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. However, he doesn't look like a lion, does he? He looks like a dadgum runway model. He slips in. And so Paul is basically saying is this, is deception is far more dangerous to us than overt, blatant sin, equally dangerous. But when we underestimate our enemy, we are... Ignorantly, unequipped, and often defeated, temporarily defeated, but sometimes we can feel defeated. So be warned against this. Do all the things, believe the doctrine, do the deeds, but at the same time, be aware that there's a whole other thing going on all around you, right? So Paul graciously reminds us that we are indeed weak. Too weak in and of ourselves to stand against that. However, we're simultaneously incredibly powerful through the work of Christ in us. And that's what we war with. And so there's this double-sided coin that he gives. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Therefore, because all this is true, take up the whole armor of God. So, number one, don't rely on self-confidence. You need the armor of God. That's what you will fight well with. You need His armor. Don't be confident in and of yourself because the power of darkness, if you walk up to try to fight it on your own, will get your you-know-what whipped. Be careful. This is a real war. (laughs) When I think about self-confidence and how it can get us in trouble sometimes, I think back to circa 1992 minor Purple Tiger tenacious wrestling team. All five foot two, 103 pounds of me. <clears throat> we were in there, we were getting ready for a wrestling tournament, doing our thing. And, and coaches, he's given a spiel on how we should be confident, how we should be all this kind of stuff. And I'm buying it, man. I am buying it hook, line, and sinker. It's like he had just put, remember the Titans on repeat, oddly meshed with Braveheart in the middle of it. Like I am. I am supercharged. I mean, he's given us the thing, and you can run through a wall if you want to, and here I am like, yeah, I can run through the wall. <laughs> he's like, you can do this, you can do this. And, and so, I am the lowest weight class, and, and he goes, alright, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with Troy, and you can pick whoever you want to wrestle. Who do you want to wrestle? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, you want to wrestle a man, or you want to wrestle somebody in your own weight class? And I'm like, I want to wrestle a man, right? And so he's like, who do you want to wrestle? And Kevin's back there in the back. Kevin weighs 197 pounds. And I'm like, I want Kevin. And the whole room's like, you're crazy. right? And so here comes Kevin out. And I'm like, let's do the thing. And it took about five seconds for him to break my spine in half. And in that moment, I was so full of self-confidence. And, and so Paul says, it's real. It's coming. It's an attack. Don't you dare be self-confident. Put on the armor of God. That's what you need to whip Kevin's you-know-what. So he says, listen, put on this armor that you, here's the flip side of the coin, may be able to withstand evil in the day, and having done all to stand firm. So yes, he's our confidence, but you are the one that's charged with standing firm. You have a real responsibility Concurrence does occur. God is sovereign, and we have a very real responsibility, right? So he says, trust in God's confidence, but also you don't waller in self-weakness because self-weakness does nothing but sit us idly by to where we become uh, totally worthless. What I mean by that is I think a lot of times we can get the flip side of the coin of, oh, well, God's all this, but I'm really nothing. And we forget what Romans 8 says. Right, That we have dwelling in us as believers the same Spirit that did what? Raised Christ from the dead. So yeah, we are more than conquerors. We are filled with the Spirit. We have this access and this power available to us. And he says, listen... Don't rest in your self-confidence, but simultaneously don't, build, uh, don't find yourself weak that you don't fight. And don't devalue what Christ has done for you. Fight the battle and fight it well. Just, this is real. And so Paul wraps up by reminding us we have this enemy, but we also have every piece of equipment we need in Christ. Now I'm not going to go through, this could be um, a seven week, series right here. And most of you guys have probably heard this taught maybe in a seven-week series of the spiritual gifts, right? Uh, Some of y'all, some of you athletes who played football probably had somebody from the FCA come in at some point and dress up in football gear and equate this passage to all those things. Anybody else been there? Okay, right? So, we're not going to take it that way because I don't want to lose the big picture, but nonetheless, so Paul's going to show us all the equipment that we have. And it's just a side note Paul is quite literally handcuffed to a soldier in this moment. So, lest we just kind of think that, where did Paul come up with this whole illustration? Boy, he's really like Paul is a C.S. Lewis of his day. It was a pretty easy illustration. I mean the brother is handcuffed to a soldier and he's looking at him standing trial and he goes, Oh, he's got a helmet, he's got this, he's got this. So this is kind of how this takes place, right? So let's look at it. Real opposition, but therefore, put up the whole, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. That's not complicated. We put a belt on so our drawls don't fall down, right? Because <laughs> if you're trying to fight, and all of a sudden you get pantsed by yourself, then you're of no value, right? And so he says, Gird yourself, but gird yourself with what? Truth. Now, I, I think we can spin this hyper-spiritually and go, what he means here is the gospel. I don't think that's what he means because he didn't use that word. What he means is, If you want to fight, number one, just don't be fake. Be truthful. Let truth be what guides you. Let truth be what girds you. Doesn't the gospel flourish best in best in truth and transparency anyway? Right. When we live a life of oh, I'm all good and all that kind of stuff, then the gospel doesn't have its full effect. The gospel has its full effect when we do what? I am weak. I need Christ. He is my all in all. So, guard yourself if we're going to stand firm, number one, with just truth. Walk confidently, but walk transparently. Don't be a fake, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, now that definitely is the gospel, because nothing else gives us righteousness other than the gospel, right? So, So, wear the gospel, and we are most confident, aren't we, when we're believing the justification of Christ what I mean by that is this, it's Paul, where he says, I've been shipwrecked, <laughs> I've been beaten, I've been left for dead, I don't know how many times, but I've found the secret of contentment, Christ in me, the hope of glory. He's confident in justification. And, and when we are confident in the righteousness of Christ, when we put on the breastplate of, I am saved by Christ's work, that's when come hell or high water, it doesn't matter. The whole world can fall around you and you stand firm because you go, this place is not my home anyway. My hope rests here, the, the song that we just sang, right? And so we put on this breastplate of righteousness. And so when Satan tells us we're worthless, we remind him of our worth found in Christ. When Satan tells us that we should be fearful, we remind him of the freedom that we've found in Christ. When Satan tries to confuse us with doubt, we remind him of the confidence we have in Christ. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then he starts talking about Nikes. And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There's this real enemy. The way that you attack him is go and share your faith. Isn't it funny that when you go and share your faith, that it oddly brings you a firm foundation? You ever notice that? You're sharing your faith, and you're sharing the hope of Christ with somebody else, And the hope is that they trust in the finished work of Christ and not in themselves. And and, and they find firm footing. But then you walk away, and you walk away going, I oddly feel a little bit stronger and more confident in Christ. It's It's the duality of sharing the gospel. And he says, if you want to fight, go and share, and you'll find firm footing for yourself and you'll find it for other people. If you find yourself getting whipped by the opposition right now, maybe a simple question is, am I sharing my faith? Am I being a part of the work? That's, in the, that's an offensive attack, right? And so then he says in verse 16, in all circumstances, <laughs> take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. This was no Captain America shield. Uh, number one, it wasn't made of vibranium. Um, but number two, it wasn 't just this round shield, and just for sidekicks and giggles, which has nothing to do with this sermon, is anybody else watching Falcon and Winter Soldier right now? OK, all my people we need let we'll us talk afterwards about the last episode because my mind is blown right, right? i can 't believe Thanos is now Captain America. Um, <laughs> so there 's like only the people that raise their hand even understand what I said. everybody else is like he 's speaking in tongues or something i don 't know what' happened. Up here? Okay. So anyways, here's the deal. It it wasn't this little shield. Um, The shield would have been a full-body shield. It was a real shield. That's what the soldier would have had. And so what Paul says is, if we're going to war against Satan, take up the shield of faith. So faith is not just a mental exercise, I think sometimes we can boil faith down to, oh, that's just the way that I think. And it's, No, no. It is effective and it is powerful to remind Satan when he attacks who we are in faith. It is the shield that extinguishes those darts that he starts flinging our way. Uh, kids these days, they're out of here, right? They're all out of here, right? Are they gone? We have any of them in here? what is the deal with these sissified Nerf guns, right? They're so soft, they don't hurt, right? They don't draw blood. Now, all of us that grew up outside the Nerf era, we had BBs, right? Or Zingers. Y'all remember Zingers? Where you'd take a piece of paper and you'd rip it in half and you'd roll that bad boy up and fold it over and you came with a rubber band that somebody whacked. Wow. And that's a real man and a real good error, right? No, this is, this is what me and my brother used to do before Nerf and all that kind of stuff. I highly support Nerf, by the way. Um, but anyways, so, so me and my brother, we would we would get in the room and, and we'd build these zingers and we'd shoot them at each other. And my, my dad and mom would just laugh at us and, until we started crying and all that kind of stuff. And they just let us keep doing it. And the only... Uh, hope that I had was the couch cushions. They were my saving grace in this time. It's lucky that I still have both my eyeballs. And the reason I have both my eyeballs is because of the couch cushion. And I'd get behind the couch cushion and you could hear those things coming through. Y'all can hear it right now. Some of you can't. You You can hear that coming. It's like a missile. And then it would hit and boom. And Thank you God. You know. That's what he says. Paul says, pick up the shield of faith. And when Satan starts saying, you're no good, you say, but Christ is. And when Satan says, you're not worth it, but Christ is. You'll never make it. I won't except for Christ. I'm after your family, not by God's grace. I mean, you attack with the shield of faith. He says, let's keep going. we got to wrap it up. I love zingers. Cole, I'm going to shoot you today with a zinger, buddy. Get ready. Put on the helmet of salvation. When Satan reminds you of your past, the old saying goes, you remind him of his what? His future. You know that old saying, right? But I think what Paul is saying is this. If you want to attack Satan when he reminds you of your past, you remind him of your future. You remind me of what Christ has done for you. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the only weapon in all of these that is truly offensive by nature, if you caught that. Everything else is defensive, but the Word is active. It's alive. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the only one in here that is offensive. and So the Word becomes effective to the extent that we digest it privately... And the word becomes effective to the extent that we proclaim it publicly. It's both. So the question is, what are we filling our minds with? Are we filling our minds with Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Or are we filling our minds with the hope of Christ? Are we filling our minds with Tupac? Or are we filling our minds with the glorious news of Christ's word? we filling our minds with? What are we filling our homes with? Are we filling our homes with do better, be better, work harder, da-da-da-da? Are we filling our homes with the grace and peace of Christ? Christ, Christ, Christ. What is the aroma is the question here. The Word has crazy power to alter environments and emotions and atmospheres. You ever been in your car or your house and all of a sudden the room that you were in just felt eerily dark? You ever been there? What'd you do about it? Did you just bolt out? I'm out here. Creepy. Hair on my head standing up. Proverbial. Or did you speak the truth of the Word into that moment? I'm telling you, man. The Word itself has way more power than we think or we believe. Next time you find yourself in that dark moment, just start speaking Scripture. Well, Troy, that don't seem like it'll work. That's what he did to Satan. Satan came in and said, I'll give you this. He says, well, here's what the Word says. I'll do this. Here's what the Word says. You can have this. Here's what the Word says. Be gone, Satan. Speak it aloud. If you have a child and you're not teaching them to war for the atmosphere of your home with the Word, then when they become adults, they won't do it either. Let it be spoken. Let it be the aroma of your home so the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Let's wrap it up. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, you used to know, I mean there's a big debate it's an, it's a nonsensical debate, right? Whether this is continuation of the list, is prayer the seventh weapon or is it not. Hey, here's the answer to that debate. It really don't matter. <laughs> it don't matter. We do all these things and we pray. And, and so to fight against Satan, we pray with all prayer and supplication. Now, where does prayer apply in that list of the equipment? All of it. We need it for all of those things. Prayer is the interaction that we have with God. So, to that end. This is where it stinks, right? Every time we wrap up a book, I'm like, ah, oh, that stinks. Every time we wrap up a book, I'm like, that was the greatest book we've ever been through of the Bible, but to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, I'm not even going to attempt his name. The beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And then watch this, verse 23. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus with a love incorruptible. And if that last sentence sounds strangely familiar. That's exactly how he started the book. He began the book of Ephesians with, Peace to you and grace to you. And he bookends it with, Peace to you, believe the doctrine, do the deeds, find yourself in a Christ-like life that models your citizenship. By the way, war against Satan, and you will find peace and grace. Really cool. Peace. To you. Peace. What Christ achieved. Right? Grace to you. How Christ achieved that peace. Nothing that you do, everything that He did. What an awesome book, right? Golly is a good book. All right. That's it, man. Unless we can make it through all 46 other ones in our lifetime, we probably will not preach through that one together again, but it will always be forever on our archives uh, for us to listen to. I pray that Ephesians has impacted your family, has impacted your heart. I pray that the Spirit has drawn you closer to Jesus through the book of Ephesians. Um, And and so parting shot, grace to you and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me?